الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا وعظيمنا وحبيب قلوبنا وشفيع نفوسنا أبي القاسم محمد اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين وأصحابه الغر الميامين الحمد لله الذي جعلنا من المتمسكين بولاية سيدي ومولاي علي بن أبي طالب الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله أما بعد يقول الله في كتابه الكريم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل يتوفاكم ملك الموت الذي وكل بكم ثم إلى ربكم ترجعون <coughs> The discussion concerning the angel of death or ملك الموت no doubt is one of the most fascinating discussions when it comes to the end of our life Nobody has as much importance at the end of our lives like our Lord and the angel of death and the other angels created with such a responsibility and such a task by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because as we know, belief in the angels is an article of faith in the religion of Islam. Every Muslim must believe in the Lord, must believe in the day of judgment, must believe in the angels, the prophets, peace be upon them. And the books that they came with, as we see in Surah 2, verse 177, when the verse states, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, ليس البر أن تولوا وجوهكم قبل المشرق والمغرب ولكن البر من آمن بالله واليوم الآخر والملائكة That righteousness is not that you turn your faces towards the east and the west. Rather, righteousness is embodied in the belief in God, the belief in the day of judgment, as well as the belief in the angels. Therefore, you find that from the very outset, the Quran wanted to highlight that the angels had a fundamental role in our understanding of the order of the universe, in our understanding of the order of creation. Hence, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, decides to appoint Nabi Adam alayhi salam and announce him as his khalifa on the earth, when in Surah 2, verse number 30, he states, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, We see the response come from the malaika, from the angels. And that is an introduction for us, for them, and their relationship and their position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When they said, Are you going to make a representative on this earth? A representative who's going to cause bloodshed, or is going to cause mischief. While we, the angels, sing your blessings and worship you, O Allah. Whatever command that you give us is a command that we make sure that we fulfill. 
we obey you with every order that you give us. And therefore you found that with the world of the angels, some of them we know and are mentioned in the Quran by name. There are others that we know in the world of hadith. So for example, those who are mentioned in the Quran by name, you find the angel Gabriel, for example, Jibra'il alayhi salam. And you find the angel Mikail. These are seen in certain circles as being the two highest angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when you came to Ru'us al-Mala'ika, they are normally four who are mentioned. Two mentioned within the Holy Quran, as we said, Jibra'il and Mikail. And you have Israfil, the blower of the trumpet, who we're going to come to very soon, for we have a number of trumpets that will be blown very shortly when it comes to our discussions, as well as Israel. Israel, some say, comes from the Hebrew. Ezra, meaning the servant, Il, God. They were the servant of God, which would have been changed from Syriac into Arabic with the pronunciation that we see today of Israel. Israel, Malik al no doubt brings about nerves in certain circles, as in whenever... You find anyone mentioning Malik al you'll find that some will say, don't talk too much about him. Or that others will say, you know what, that day when I have to see Malik al I don't know what I'm going to do. And the majority of time you'll find that our depiction of Malik al is wrong. Many times our depiction of Malik al is a depiction which is extremely negative. We imagine Malik al as this angel who has a very difficult demeanor somebody who when you look at them you get scared automatically and wants to scare you and wants to petrify you and as i said there needs to be a whole reform of the way we view death as muslims or indeed as human beings because why would someone who obeys allah subhanahu wa ta'ala why would someone who loves the lord not love those who are on the path of the lord not love those who are sincere in their behaviors. Not, those, not love those who showed obedience to the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to the saints who Allah chose to guide us spiritually, legally and ethically. Just imagine that this is a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a creation who wants to be around other creations who are lovers of God. The angels love the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the prophets of Allah love the angels Malik al-Maut loves the prophets of Allah Malik al-Maut is in awe of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likewise the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have a love and a reverence for Malik al-Maut as in if a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not have respect for the angel of death then you can delete the idea that this was a prophet call him a false prophet and even if the hadith indicates that a prophet of Allah, sallallahu for example, was one of those, peace be upon him and his family, who insulted the angel or hurt an angel or sought to mock an angel or went as far as punching or slapping an angel, then automatically you have to begin to question where such a hadith would come from. The aim is not to justify a tradition if it tells you, such a thing. Rather, I recognize these angels are obedient to my Lord. My Lord has given them positions of honor. Some I know, like Jibreel and Mikael from the Quran. Others like Israfil, Israel. Others, for example, such as Raqib, such as Atid, the angel of wind, the angel of rain, 
the angels who look after the arsh, the angels who look after the throne, the angels who come down on the night of power, these angels wouldn't look at me if I've been obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and obedient to my prophet in a way which is cringeworthy or in a way which is frightening. Surely they'd want to come to us and the first thing they'd want to say to us is salam. As in, these who are obedient to Allah, if they see me and they love me and they don't say salam, which is seen as one of the highest and most obligatory acts in the human world, then I have to begin to ask myself, then why would they be so highly praised if they don't like to be around the believers? Therefore, our concept of the angel of death is extremely negative. And it may even have remnants in some cases of certain other Abrahamic faiths which looked at the angel of death in an evil way. For us, the angel of death should not be looked at in an evil way. Rather, we should look at the angel of death and look forward to seeing the angel of death. But at the same time, make sure that we've revised for the exam before he opens that paper. If I haven't revised, then I'm going to have a difficult time with the angel of death. Because, like anyone, if he's going to be an embodiment of his Lord, if his Lord is angry with the hypocrites, he'll be angry with the hypocrites. And if his Lord, for example, is angry with the oppressor, then he will definitely be angry when he seizes the soul of the oppressor. And if his Lord is angry with those who had riya and ujub and takabbur, ostentatiousness or self-conceit or arrogance, likewise, when he sees them, when they are dying, he's going to have that as well. Let us tonight examine the world of the angel of death. And I'd like to do this in the following stages. Number one, who is it that seizes the souls? In one eye of the Quran, says God. In another, the angel of death. In another, other angels. Is there a contradiction in the Quran? Number two, which acts are acts which can change the number on the clipboard of the angel of death as to when we were going to pass away? Number three, how can a gift or a donation or help to the poor increase our lifespan by even 60 years? By what was written from the angel of death? Number four, does he meet the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And when they ask him, are you here to visit or are you here to seize? What is meant by this? What happens if you feel his presence and you want to run away? Will he find you wherever you are? Number five, can he be punched by a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And if he has been punched by a prophet, what does that say about that prophet who is claimed to be the spokesman of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Number six, and of the utmost importance, how can we ensure that our actions are actions which will ensure that when he meets us, there is a salam rather than a frightened countenance? Number seven, how did Salman al-Muhammadi go to the graveyard and talk to those who had already met the angel of death? And how was this honor given to him? And finally, there are some who the angel of death finds it hard to seize them and to seize their souls. For what reason? And what could arguably be his most difficult seizure? Let's examine this and dissect the topic in complete depth. Someone pointed out what could be a contradiction in the Quran, far be it from being a contradiction, but one which we need to examine. Normally, a person says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has entrusted the angel of death to seize our souls. They look at the ayah in the Quran in Surah 32, verse number 11. 
قل يتوفاكم ملك الموت الذي وكل بكم ثم إلى ربكم ترجعون say that the angel of death is the one يتوفاكم seizes your what he is the one who seizes your soul and then after that what happens we return to our Lord someone said if it's the angel of death that seizes our soul how comes in Surah 39 verse 42 of the Holy Quran it mentions that Allah it says that Allah is the one who seizes the soul when they die Surah 32 verse 11 said Surah 39 verse 42 said Allah is the one who seizes Here it says the angel of death seizes Then to add further Surah 6 verse number 61 says That the one who seizes the soul Is who? Is our messengers So now we have what is a possible contradiction according to some because they say, you said to me that Malik al-Maut, Israel, is the one who seizes our soul when we are dying. Our body dies, and he comes and seizes that soul with a perfection, as if you're taking out hair from clay. But then someone says, hold on a minute, I see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, Allahu mawtiha. So hold on, Allah seizes, angel of death, all those other angels, who are the other angels? Because I thought Malik al-Maut is one. Then who are these Rusul who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about? There's no contradiction there. What do we mean? First and foremost, there's no contradiction here because of the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gives life and the one who takes your life. The one who causes life, causes death. Creates life, creates death. Ultimately, that knowledge of when we're going to die exactly is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that knowledge of where you're going to die is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives the knowledge of people's deaths and the permission to seize their souls with malakul maut. Someone says, well, how about those other rusul? There are certain rusul who are the helpers, the angels who are helpers of Malik al-Maut. They say that Malik al-Maut is the one who goes specifically, according to some opinions, he goes specifically to seize the souls of whom? To seize the souls of, for example, the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or he's the one who goes to seize the souls of the imams of Ahl al-Bayt, salawatullahu wa salamu alayhim. So the, he, that's his role. Someone says, well, how about those other angels? Those other angels are the helpers. Now, if you imagine the hierarchy of this structure, when I give these examples, I don't want it measured exactly. But if you imagine that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the head, the CEO, and that he has a vice president, for example, who does a lot of the management, and that is, Israel, of course, Jibrail, Mikael, others have their roles. But in terms of death, Israel, he is the one who oversees operations. And then he employs Rusul. Some of these Rusul are those who when they come and seize you, they'll seize your soul violently. As the Quran says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim nazi'ati And some of those Rusul are those who come and seize your soul softly, without too much pain, Gently, 
As the Quran says, nashita. So therefore, was there a contradiction? No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ultimately has the exact knowledge of when we're gonna die. Someone says, well, how about on the clipboard of the angel of death, does it say exactly when we're gonna die? He has an idea, but that idea is open to being erased. In which concept? In the concept of bada. When the Quran in Surah 13 verse 39 says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Yamhu Allahu ma yasha wa yuthbit wa andahu ummu al-kitab. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala erases what he wants, cements what he wants, writes what he wants. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to erase the number which is written on the clipboard of the angel of death, that number which is written, for example, it says, Sayyid Amman Rakhshawani dies at the age of 85, inshallah. It says that number next to my name, then that number cannot easily be erased. Someone says, but how? The Quran said, Allah erases what he wants. And he is able to write what he wants anew. Yes. Ultimately, all knowledge is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the knowledge that changes is the knowledge of the angel of death. You see, my brothers and sisters, if I said the angel of death has the same knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it comes to when everyone dies, then I should be worshipping the angel of death as well. The angel of death's knowledge is upon what Allah decides to give him and what Allah decides to change as well. Therefore, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides that on my number, next to my name, Malik al it's written for him, said Amman Akshawani, 85 years of age, there are certain acts which can make that number increase by up to 30 years. And there are certain acts that can make that number decrease by 20 years. What do we mean? Amongst the acts, for example, where your age can increase from what is written with the angel of death, Salat al-Rahim. Salat al-Rahim enjoining our relations with our womb relatives. One of the biggest tests that any of us will face is having a difficult relative. How do we maintain relations with them? Some are obstinate, some are arrogant, some are difficult to deal with. Some only are using us and have a relationship with us for benefits. So you find that some of us, we want to cut off those relations with our relatives. Cut them off, up to you. But that age from what's written may decrease. Some of us know, we say that maybe we will enjoy relations with our relatives. We'll go and sit with them, even in this holy month of Ramadan. WhatsApp a relative you haven't spoken to for ages. Or send a message to a relative you feel wronged you. Yes, they may have wronged me. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling me that amongst the benefits of Salat al-Rahim is what? That the written portion for me is something which is delayed. And an increase in my age occurs, yes? That increase in my age can occur by up to 20 years, even 30 years. I'll never forget Imam Al-Kadhim sallallahu alayhi wa Imam had a companion by the name of Shu'aib. He said to him, Shu'aib, there is someone coming from Maghrib, from Morocco. His name is Ya'qub. I want you to meet him by the Kaaba. Shu'aib said, I went to the Kaaba and I was standing there and this person came towards me looking at me. He said to me, you must be Shu'aib. He said to him, how do you know? He said, in my dream, I was told that I'll be guided towards you. Shu'aib said, then very well, come with me. So they went, all of them together to who? They went to the imam. He sat with the imam. He said, Shu'aib, he said to him, Ya'qub, 
on your way to Mecca, visiting the Kaaba, you and your brother had a quarrel. And that quarrel is not one befitting of the lovers of Ahlul Bayt and of the lovers of God. I expected more from you. He said, therefore, because of that, death will come to one of you very soon. He said, tell me more, O Imam. Imam said to him, however, with you, because you patched up your relation, you patched up a relation with an aunt, that patching up of that relationship with your aunt means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided to increase your life by 20 years from what was written. Someone says, what, Allah's ilm changed? Allah therefore didn't know. No, no, Allah knows when this person's going to die. The same way your Lord knew when he told Abraham, sacrifice your son. He knew all along that he'd sacrifice the sheep eventually. Ibrahim thought it's the son. The same way your Lord knew that when Moses came to collect the alwah, when he came to collect them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew very well that Moses thinks he's going to be here for 30 days. I know he's going to be here by, for 40, but we'll increase it by 10 after the 30 is over. Likewise, Allah already knew that this Yaqub from Morocco will be somebody whose life will increase by up to 20 years. But he said the other one is going to pass away soon. The other one's age, by the way, may have been written originally on the clipboard of the angel of death much later. But because he broke relations with the family members. When I hear that people who go to the same mosque, sisters don't speak to each other. These people sit in the mosque, listen to majalis, go to Salat al-Jum'ah, go on ziyarah. But they don't realize that their death is coming nearer and nearer when they break relations with one another. No one's saying be lovey-dovey with each other. But the basic minimum at least assalamu alaikum between you. That should never leave any of us. That should always be part and parcel of our relations so that that mercy is not cut from us on the day of judgment. Therefore, you found the next year when Yaqub came back to Hajj, he saw Imam Al-Kadhim alayhi salam. And he said to Imam, Imam, my brother passed away shortly after what you had said. Yes. So you found, therefore, that there are certain acts here which highlight the central debate. Are our acts predestined? Or do we have complete free will? Or is it an amr that is bayna amrain, a manzila between manzilatain? What is it exactly? You find that no, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that look, it's your life. You send a text message or a WhatsApp message to a relative, even if they come back to you rudely, even if they don't even respond arrogantly, don't worry about people. The human being will keep surprising you. Especially those who you've been good to. Always beware of the evil of those you've been good to, Amir al-Mu'mineen says. But it doesn't matter. You do it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you'll see that now it's in your hands. Malik al-Mu'at has on his clipboard that you'll die at 50. You've done that act of Salat al-Rahim. It will change to 70. He just waits for the commands from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him those commands. Malik al-Maud goes ahead or the Rusul go ahead. And don't think Malik al-Maud, there is a tradition that says that Malik al-Maud doesn't necessarily want to do this at the beginning. He'll obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but he asks Allah can I have another role? Why? He said because I'm going to end up maybe taking fathers away from their family and there are kids there and there are orphans there. This was right at the beginning when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him that you are going to be the angel of death. So one of the anecdotal traditions is that he doesn't 
He at the beginning said, Ya Allah, could I maybe do something else? Because I'm going to bring pain to that family. For example, when I take the soul away, say from their father and they have children. And Allah told them, don't worry. They'll be more focused on the cause of the death than they are on you seizing the soul. And it's true. When someone now dies of cancer, you don't say the angel of death must have taken them. No, you say, well, did you hear they die of cancer? They were unwell. When someone dies in a car crash, you don't hear people saying, you know what, the angel of death was at our house and he must have taken that person at that moment. No, you hear people turning around and saying that, you know what, that person died in a car crash. So even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as part of his mercy for the angel of death was that people wouldn't talk about him too often. Rather, you would find that they talk about the causes because the angel of death, don't imagine he's an angel that has no respect towards the people. But the reality is that he has to go to their houses. And how many times does he go? Maybe five times a day, the angel of death has been lingering. Or the Rusul have been lingering around our houses. Because some of us, there is a person who once said, that why doesn't the angel of death give us a warning before he comes? At least if he gives us a warning... Like it's mentioned, for example, with some of the greatest who lived on this earth, that he took their permission, for example. Why doesn't he give us a warning? Firstly, not all of those who were great necessarily had a warning before he came. Sulaiman one day is looking at his vast kingdom. The next moment he passed away. When the angel of death had come towards him, and he had now told him that we have to go. People imagine that there has to be a warning that I'm going to be here in about seven days, Nabi Sulaiman. No, on the contrary, the time has come. We must leave. But you also find at the same time, the angel of death has warned us. When someone in your family dies, that's not a warning from the angel of death. You saw someone from your own family die. Oh, one of your beloved die. One of your best mates die. That wasn't enough for you to stop the haram that you're doing. Don't say the angel of death hasn't warned me. Malik al has warned you many times. He's shown you deaths in front of you. That's the biggest warning that you can have. Are you seriously telling me that when you've seen a friend or a family member die of a disease like cancer or die in a car crash or die all of a sudden even in their sleep, that wasn't enough for you to change? So what's left, my dear brothers and sisters? What's left? I honestly ask you, that you're telling me the angel of death could at least tell me before he comes. The angel of death will turn around to you and say, hold on a minute. I have shown you all of these deaths. And still arrogantly you think that there's not a moment in the five times that I visit you a day. That I'm not going to come and take your soul. No, I will. I'll come and take it. But be ready because I want to have salam with you. I want to be at peace with you. I want to have a good convo with you. I want to take you to Muhammad and Al-Muhammad. Salawatullah wa salam alayhim. I want you to go and chill with them, go coach with them, go relax with them. Don't let me come to you and you're looking at them thinking, well, what do I say to them? Why I didn't do this? Why I postponed this? Why I was late with this? That's why this holy month of Ramadan, make that resolution. How people have New Year's resolution? Make that resolution that, you know what? This month of Ramadan, one thing which I've been postponing of the obligatory acts, I'm going to promise and make a resolution to my Lord, make a vow to my Lord that I'm going to work on them or that I'm going to change them. Don't worry about what everyone else thinks or the peer pressure. Believe you me, they'll have their qabr and we're coming to the nights of the grave very shortly and you'll have your qabr as well. Therefore, that Malik al and the other Rasul, do they visit the prophets of Allah? They do. And when they visit the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
The prophets of Allah, when they seized them, they asked them a question. Have you come to visit or have you come to seize? Because if you've come to visit, then tell me what's up. Tell me what's happening. But if you've come to seize, then this is the moment that I've got to go. So you found that sometimes the angel of death will come and say to them, I've just come to visit and tell that prophet that you see that young man over there, 10 days he's gone. He's got 10 days left. Nabi Dawood and Nabi Sulaiman have two wonderful stories where Malik al Maut has come in their gatherings. When the angel of death would come, he would say to Nabi Dawood, you see the young one there? He said, yeah, he said 10 days and he's gone. He's a goner, he's finished. He's going to be taken. We'll seize his soul. 16 days had passed. That young man was still around. Nabi Dawood saw Malik al Maut. Have you come to visit or you've come to seize? He said, no, I've come to visit. He said to him, the young man. He said, the young man. The young man. He said, oh, prophet of Allah. That young man was a few days away from dying. He had nothing to eat and nothing to drink. And there was nothing even available for him. His time had virtually come. He had to go. He said while he was walking around looking for some food with the six odd dirhams that he had, he said he looked at a person in front of him and said to him, I beg you give me something for I have nothing to eat, I have nothing to drink. He said he took it out straight away and gave him. My Lord looked towards me and said to me, for that one act that that 20-year-old young man performed, because he gave to others when he himself was in need, change the date of his death from the age of 20 to the age of 80. 60-year increase. Salat al-Rahim, we said, how long? Ziyada fil is how long? 20 years. But when it came to helping the poor, how many are there in London today? from the poor and the homeless, who now face even more difficult times than us who are in quarantine, but maybe living in nice houses, maybe living in comfortable abodes. How many are there in African countries who can't even afford medical equipment? How many African countries don't even have ventilators? They don't even have hospital equipment. Give to them and see that Malik al himself will put his hand up and say, listen, my Lord said to me, no, you go, don't go and take that person now. Likewise, what else? Obedience to the parents, that's fundamental. There are some today in our youth, you see them with their parents, loud, obnoxious, raising their voice, smashing doors as they reply back to their parents, using their father simply as a cash machine and their mother as a slave. Nothing more, no interaction, no humility, that person has to realize that one of the things that postpones the angel of death coming upon you is what? The postponement of the angel of death coming upon you is that you ensure that you are able at that moment to be of those who is obedient to their parents. When the Quran said, don't even say uffin, it was saying to us that uttering a t or other Small noises when your mother or your father requests something from you is the highest sign of rudeness. And even if sometimes you feel that your parents, for example, are parents who are backward, they're from a different generation, they don't appreciate 
your cool modern style, then try and be patient with that. Be humble with that. When you have your parents in your life, that is a risk from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And sometimes we don't realize that. So when the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, his family sees the angel of death one day, <laughs> and the question is asked, are you here to visit or are you here to seize? And he says to him, he says, no, no, I'm here to tell you that I was going to go and take the soul of one of the people. But because of their obedience and their respect to their parents, Allah said, give them more time. So you had Nabi Dawood alayhi salam from one angle. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is from another angle. And you had Nabi Sulaiman alayhi salam. Nabi Sulaiman alayhi salam sitting in a gathering one day. Someone was sitting in the gathering of Sulaiman. Remember Nabi Sulaiman, the jinn were his servants. The wind was his servants. He could speak to the animals. Solomon and David occupy a prominent position in the religion of Islam. Sulaiman alayhi salam, while he was sitting down, narration mentions that someone was sitting in the company of Sulaiman and he came to me and said, Nabi Sulaiman, who's that person over there? Because he's staring at me with a stare which I just am not comfortable with. Prophet of God, you know what? Just tell me who is that? And then Nabi Sulaiman said, look, don't worry, it's okay. And he said, no, Prophet of God, I beg you tell me. That person was there, he's now gone. I beg you tell me who that was because he was giving me some looks. You know what? I, I never want to look at that person's face ever again in my life. Nabi Sulaiman said that that was the angel of death there. The angel of death can come in the form of a human. Angels like Jibrail came, for example, in the form of a human being. So he looked at Nabi Sulaiman and said, Nabi Sulaiman, you know how the wind is your servant? He's like, yep. Um, and so like, I can literally fly anywhere now. He said, yes. He goes, I want to go straight to India. Now, why that guy chose India, I don't know. But he said India. Straight away, he was gone. Nabi Sulaiman, alayhi salam, Allah had given him that honor where he was able to have that provision for him. Like how the throne of Balqis, alayhi salam, was able to reach him. And that was only one of his successors. So you found then, Nabi Sulaiman looked at the angel of death and he was like, why were you looking at him in that way? And he saw the angel of death a few days later. He said to him, you were in the gathering when you said, yeah. He said, you were staring at someone. Why? He said, I was a bit confused. He said, why? He said, um, I looked at the clipboard and it said, by the way, we say these things metaphorical of clipboard. The book that was with him, he said, I looked at it and it said, that I'm going to have to seize that guy. I'm looking at that guy. I'm going to have to seize his soul in India. But we're here. How is it that I've got to seize his soul in India? This guy booked like a one-way ticket to India or something? <laughs> he said, then I realized that he had said to you that I want to go to India. Wherever you go, he will be there. So you might as well work on yourself from now. Therefore, you found that while some people think they'll be able to escape death or death is a mirage and say that he never warns us, he's warned us enough. The maqbara, the qabrastan is enough of a warning for us. Those who are dying because of COVID-19 are enough of a warning. And you'll find some, wallah, there'll be no change in them. Believe you me, they'll, you'll find some. If Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa or Amir al-Mumin was there, even they wouldn't change them. No change whatsoever. Even in the middle of COVID-19, still not praying salah. Even in the middle of COVID-19, still listening to the most vulgar musicians with the worst of cursing from them without a change. 
still in the middle of COVID-19 when they're seeing people dying, not even an effect on them in terms of their relationship with their relatives. Some people never, but some know. Some their hearts still have that light where they realize that if that angel of death is going to come upon me, what do I have to answer at that moment? How ready am I for that moment? Now, with all those prophets, Dawood alayhi salam, Sulaiman alayhi salam, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him and his family, you find that with all of them, they had that relationship of respect with the angel of death. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his prophets, he's given them the knowledge of the seen and the unseen. Yes? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge of the unseen and he does not give that knowledge of the unseen to anyone except those who he is pleased with from his messengers. His messengers know the world of the seen and the unseen. Of course, in their levels of these prophets and messengers, there are messengers who are higher than prophets, messengers who are higher than messengers, and the highest of them and greatest is, of course, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi. But the Ulul Azam, no doubt, have a high position. The likes of Ibrahim, Nuh, of course, Isa, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi, and Nabi Musa alayhi salam. That's why it's astonishing. When you read in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, that Nabi Musa السلام, punched or slapped the angel of death. When you read that, believe you me, there are people out there who ask this question everywhere. Sometimes they're scared to ask because if you begin to question Sahih al-Bukhari or Sahih Muslim, it's like questioning the Quran in the eyes of some, that people will look every single way possible to defend the text. As if the Quran is speaking, not a book of ahadith from personalities who in most cases were personalities who were prone to mistakes, fallible human beings in some cases, were haters of Ali ibn Abi Talib salam and had fought Ali ibn Abi Talib. But no problem, use them as, as narrators. It's okay as long as he's thiqah. As one famous scholar of hadith says about Umar bin Sa'ad, killer of Imam al-Hussein, but thiqah, but trustworthy. But he's a killer, but trustworthy. Make sure you recognize that he's trustworthy. You'll find that some, when they see this hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, they want to question it. They're like, hold on a minute. Musa alayhi salam, Kaleem Allah, the spokesman, the one who spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're telling me Nabi Musa alayhi salam punched the angel of death. Because if you go now, Google Moses punching the angel of death. And you'll see very clearly what's written. Angel of death had come to seize the soul of Nabi Musa alayhi salam. And Musa ends up slapping him or punching him. Causing a black eye as you do with an angel. You end up punching that angel, injuring the eye. And that... The angel of death returns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying, this one doesn't want to die. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, go back, tell him to put his hand on an ox, on the back of the ox. The amount of hairs that are under his hand is the number of years that he'll continue to live. A year for each hair. And then Moses asks the angel of death, what happens after that? He says, you die. So I'll die now then. When you look at this, you found that even certain scholars outside of the school of Ahlul Bayt, such as Al-Mazri, reached a conclusion that if you don't believe in this, you are one of the people of innovation, as if you've left the religion of Islam. First and foremost, me not believing in a tradition, in a book of hadith, means I leave the fold of Islam. 
Where did Islam go to? Where did Islam head to? I don't believe in a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari or Sahih Muslim. Two personalities, Muhammad bin Ismail al-Bukhari and Muslim bin Hajjaj al-Nisapuri. These people who were scholars in their own right, in their own tradition, but are not infallible personalities. Everybody has their research. That research is a research which we give and we leave behind for the people to reach a level where some say that if you have it in your houses or in your towns, it would ward off crises and diseases and typhoons and God knows what. How did it reach this level? The Quran for me, you tell me the Quran, I'll say to you, okay, I'll take something from the Quran. Who am I to reject it? On the basis of the tafsir being from Muhammad and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Not the tafsir being from those who supported those who fought Muhammad and Muhammad. Yes, you'll find that there are those who give a tafsir of the Holy Quran. And he's a lover of Muawiyah, a lover of Yazid, a lover of Marwan ibn al-Hakam, a lover of Imran bin Hattan, Samura bin Jundub. He loves all of them, but I have to take his tafsir. I will never take his tafsir. And you can't force me to take his tafsir. But when I look at such a tradition, I look at it and I say, you're telling me, Moses alayhi salam, what type of reverence do you have for Nabi Musa alayhi salam that you're willing to say that Moses punched, slapped the angel of death? Honestly, if, a, if an atheist reads that a prophet of God, supposedly guided by God, is punching uh, those who are ordered by God. Of course, in some tradition, don't worry. The, the, the ones who God chooses and the one who God loves, they say are all fighting each other. No problem. They'll raise swords against each other. They'll kill each other. There's no problem. But for us, no. The malaika are obedient to Allah subhanahu ta'ala. The prophets are those guided. Allah tells us that when we read Surah Al-Fatiha, اهدنا الصراط المستقيم Guide me on the straight path. صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم Guide me on the path of those who you have blessed, and here I have a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punching an angel of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I wish this was the only hadith which baffles you. Musa alayhi salam, the children of Israel, they say, were uncertain if he had a particular defect. So he's gone to have a bath and he's left his clothes on a stone. The stones run away. Moses naked running after the stone. And everyone looked at Moses, but naked. They saw him and they said to themselves, mm, you know what? He doesn't have a defect. I take these as the main books of hadith. I take these as in this represents the religion of Islam. And I know you have to defend it. And I know that you have to look in every possible angle. And I looked at one of the defenses that were given of this. You know what the defense was? Moses is an angry guy. So it happens. Moses is an angry guy. He said, yes, Moses is angry. Don't you see he killed someone in the Quran? Firstly, the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their anger is for the sake of Allah. The moment their anger is purely for their sake, then automatically these cannot be called prophets. Everything they do is purely for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As in we're coming now here to an important creedal issue. Firstly, that prophet is angered for the sake of Allah. Secondly, there was a punch-up that had occurred. Nabi Musa stopped the punch-up when he stopped that fight that had occurred and removed the Egyptian and that Egyptian died in that way. It wasn't Nabi Musa going around, I'm going to kill everybody who gets in my way. He said, no, 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 he wasn't just angry there. He was also angry when he got the tablets, when he spoke to his Lord and the Quran mentions that that he got the tablets and what did he do? 
He, they say, smashed them on the ground. Since when was alqa meaning to smash something? And even if you look at Shakir Ali or Yusuf Ali, Shakir Pikthor, look at the difference in their translation of alqa. Yes? The difference is very clear. One of them says strike, but alqa, for example, alqa ma'adhira is to put forth or to put something. Doesn't mean that you smash it on the ground as some want us to believe that Moses, because he saw the children of Israel and their behavior with the calf, he smashed what God had given him on the ground and that that is a sign of his anger on the contrary. He cast it aside and then he went towards where they say the third moment is that you can't understand Moses is angry. Look at the way his own brother Harun tells him that my brother do not pull my beard and my head in this way. That moment is no doubt a sensitive moment. I remember when Urwa bin Mas'ud al-Thaqafi came to meet the Holy Prophet peace be upon his family on behalf of the Quraysh. He came, he sat down, put his knee by the knee of the Prophet and pulled his beard. All of a sudden, Mughira bin Shu'ba, who's Urwa's nephew, was sitting down. He said, remove your hands from the beard of the Holy Prophet. How dare you? Prophet said, listen, that's their culture. They say salam to each other by the pulling of the beard. And so if that's their culture, I'm no one to come and oppose that culture. On the one hand, some cultures you pulled the beard. On the other hand, a prophet of Allah like Musa is ulil azm. A prophet of Allah like Harun is not ulil azm. Musa السلام, pulls him in this sensitive moment and asks him, like any leader, everybody, reveal what happened. What did happen with you guys? You worship the calf. What happened, my brother? My brother, I did not want to see disunity happen between the children of Israel. And that they may leave your path. When a person therefore turns around and says that Moses punched the angel of death, what's left of the religion then? You don't have to stick to defending something. It's a book of hadith. We have levels in hadith. We have hadith which are mutawatir. Then we go to a world of sahih, a world of da'if. Others will talk of hasan and muwathaq and so on. But for someone to be so adamant to an extent where they say, if you do not accept this, you are from the people of bid'ah. You are a mulhid. Where did we reach such a level? Because that, when you reach that level where you're saying that, you know what? This book and the Quran are like this with each other. Wallah, even if such hadiths are in my book, then throw the book away. Because if such hadiths exist in a book, and someone says, but it's a Shia book, I have to defend it to the last? No. I put it alongside the barometer, that is the Quran. And then I see the traditions of Al-Muhammad, for me to lower the status of Prophet that he's naked running after a stone for the love of God. A prophet naked running after and children of Israel staring. What is this? Honestly, a human being wouldn't go to a nudist beach out of respect for themselves. And here you have the children of Israel looking at a prophet. Well, anyway, at the end of the day, everyone's got their graves and everyone has to answer their Lord. For us, the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have that respect for the angels. The angels have that respect. They know. Have you come to seize or have you come to visit? They have their communication with each other. Never would there be. And there was another person who said, no. He punched him because he had entered his house. And Musa was under law pressure. So what you do is you punch someone the moment they enter your house. And Islamic law allows you to punch someone the moment they enter your house. Moses, السلام, if he can't differentiate in these things, all his life he's spoken to Allah. And he can't differentiate about the messengers or the rusul or the malaika. Then I don't know which Moses you believe in. But if you want to, when you see Musa, السلام, tell him. That I defended your punch-ups. And I know what I'll tell Nabi Musa alayhi salam. And how wonderfully I mention him in the ziyarat. Now, therefore when we take this on board. An important point needs to be noted. 
No doubt. We look forward to seeing the angel of death if we know we've prepared for the exam. And we look forward to him helping us in a smooth transition, saying salam to us as we go towards the world of the questioning of the grave, which we'll come to as we go towards the world of Barzakh, of course. But no doubt, there is also the reality that somebody may have prayed and fasted and done everything possible, but they may still find it so difficult. Salman al-Muhammadi, companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa There are certain companions. No doubt the knowledge is immense. The spirituality is even higher. Your Salmans, your Abu Dars, your Miqdads, your Ammars, the likes of Abdullah bin Mas'ud, the likes of others who were alongside the Holy Prophet such as Mus'ab bin Umar. These personalities gave so much back to the religion of Islam. Salman, at the end of his life, was where? He was in Madain. When he was in Madain, may Allah bless us all to visit the grave one day in the house of Allah, that is the mosque where Salman is buried. When Salman was there in Madain, you found that Al-Asbah bin Nubata was there, another of the great companions of the Ahlul Bayt. Salman said to Al-Asbah, he said to him very clearly that at the time of my death, the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa said that I will be visited by one of the dead. Take me to the graveyard, put me on a wooden plank. And then when Salman was taken there, he went and he called out, Oh, inhabitants of the grave, I am Salman, a slave of the messenger of Allah. The Prophet had told me that at the time of my death, a dead person will visit me and will have a conversation with me. Come with me. Please, one of you answer me. I am Salman, the slave of the messenger of Allah. Sallallahu alayhi wa And the reply came all of a sudden. That, oh, people who build and plant... And ultimately the buildings turn into ruins and gardens that decay. Ask me what you want and I will reply. At that moment, Salman looked towards that person. When he looked at him, he said to him, Are you of the people of paradise or of the people of hell? And he said, I am who? He looked at him, he said, I'm the people of paradise, yes. That he was from the people of paradise, he wanted now to know from him, What happened when you died? And that person straight away said to him, please don't ask this, please. Because by Allah, now this is the difficulty that we may face. And there are so many descriptions given in the books of Ahadith, my dear brothers and sisters. That by Allah, if they had someone had stipped my flesh in little bits and removed them from the flesh of my bones, it would have been easier than the agony of death. I did good deeds in this world. But even if you prayed and you fasted, you know this, but there has to be a sincere near. Until he comes to him and he said to him, that the angel of death came towards me. Frightening countenance stood in the air before me, pointing to my eyes. And slowly, as we said, the senses become impaired. And then he said, the soul that was taken, I felt it as if it went from my nose and left me. That description, which we will continue to elaborate on in these nights, was the beginning of the description of Salman and his relationship with who? His relationship with death. Because that moment, what was he highlighting? For some, the angel of death will look at them smiling, saying, Salam, come with me. For others, no. The angel of death or the angels. Someone might ask, okay, the angel of death, can he do all this at once? No, he's got those angels, other rusul. 
the angel of death can look in a way where you know that this is going to be a difficult moment. And at that moment, what do we need? We need at that moment our family, our friends who are still alive. Maybe some of their amal will cement us and strengthen us. Because at that moment that the soul leaves the body, that's a moment of anguish. Imagine now this nail which is stuck to my finger. Any of you who've had a broken toenail and it's had to come off from the toe, you'll know just how delicate that flesh is under that toenail. I've been there, by the way. I can't say I've been there with much of our lectures on death, but I've been there when the toenail has opened up and the blood is everywhere and you see that flesh how sensitive it is. That's how it feels for those who had oppressed, those who had been hypocritical, those who had hurt, those who had destroyed. But inshallah, for those who had been obedient and shown love to Muhammad and Al-Muhammad, then hopefully at that moment, it won't be that difficult. But rather at that moment, they look forward to seeing someone who's a servant of Allah like they hoped they would have been. So for Israel, no doubt, he ensures that the commands of Allah are fulfilled. Some of those commands, the Rusul may go to that body. They may seize the soul and go. For him, he may go to the messengers of Allah, the prophets of Allah, and he may seize their bodies. It's an honor for him to go to Adam السلام, to go to Nuh السلام, to go to Ibrahim السلام, to go to Musa and not get punched by Musa, to go to Nabi Isa السلام, to go to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon his family. But even for him, there is still the emotion that is there. Yes, that emotion may not be there on other occasions. We stay in a house where everyone's crying. Say, listen, I'm just doing my job. But with the messengers of Allah, that emotion does affect him. And with their position, there is a sense of seeking even permission in some of the literature. That he knows he's entering towards a house where there is a great personality. If it was hard for him with Rasulullah, how do you go towards a body where there is a rib which is broken? And have to seize the soul from that body of Fatima. And and if it's hard for him with Fatima, how do you go to a body where there is an injury? Like the injury of Khandaq on the top of the head. And if that's difficult for him, at least with those bodies, he didn't see much of the poison surrounding. But imagine how difficult it was for him to see Imam Al-Hasan and Zain Al-Abideen, Muhammad Al-Baqir, Ja'far Al-Sadiq, Musa Al-Kadhim, Ali ibn Musa, Muhammad bin Ali, Ali ibn Muhammad, Al-Hasan bin Ali. But he saw poison surrounding their body. It was difficult for him to seize the soul. But he was still able to seize their soul. Imagine then as the poet describes. That with all those bodies you are able to seize their soul. You never had to see arrows surrounding the body. With all those bodies you seize the soul. At least the body was still intact. Act, uh, with all those bodies that you seized the souls from, uh, at least the head was attached uh, to the body. Uh, how difficult was it for Malik al-Maut when he came to Karbala an hour before Maghrib uh, to see the holy body of Abba Abdullah al-Hussein uh, with arrows all over the body. Uh, if I 
I ever get to meet the angel of death and when I do get the chance I'll ask him oh angel of death how did you have the strength to come near the body of Abu Abdullah when he lay on the plains of Karbala that's why you find no doubt many of the poets when they reflect upon this each and every one of them asks oh angel of death how did it feel when you came near the body and you see the mark of an arrow on the forehead of Imam al Hussein? How did it feel when you saw a neck with no head attached to it? How did you feel when you saw the fingers of Imam al Hussein chopped into pieces around his body? If that was difficult for Malik al Maut, then I ask you, how did his mother Fatima Zahra feel when she saw Shimmer sitting on his chest? How did she feel when she saw the horses kick his body around Karbala the way that horses would kick a ball everywhere? Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to raise us with Muhammad and al-Muhammad. Ya Allah, we have a couple of people in our community who have requested that we pray for their family members and their friends who are facing difficulties in this moment with COVID-19 and other illnesses. We'll recite the ayah of the Quran. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Amman yujimu al-muftara idha da'ahu yakshibu al-su'a. أَمَّنْ يُجِيمُ الْمُضْطَرَّ إِذَا دَعَاهُ وَيَكْشِفُ السُّوءَ 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 يَا اللَّهُ إِنَّ نَيْمَ الْوَنْهُ هُوَ زِلَتْ كَرْبَلَاءِ إِمَامَ زَيْنِ الْعَابِدِينَ مَيْكَ أَوَدَفْسَ with a salam and a peaceful greeting from the messengers of Allah. We pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the originators of this majlis, for their marhumin with a surat al-fatiha. But wherever you may be and wherever you're watching from with your family, recite the loudest of salawat. Hey.